welcome to Across Acoustics, the official podcast of the Acoustical Society of America's Publications Office. On this podcast, we will highlight authors' research from our four publications, the Journal of the Acoustical Society of America, also known as JAZA, JAZA Express Letters, Proceedings of Meetings on Acoustics, also known as POMA and Acoustics Today. I'm your host, Melanie Walters, Publications Business Manager at ASA. Today, I will be speaking with co-authors of How Loud is X-59 Shaped Sonic Boom, published in the June 2020 issue of the Proceedings of Meetings on Acoustics, also known as POMA. Our two authors are both research aerospace engineers from NASA Langley Research Center and include Will Dobler and Jonathan Rathsum. Welcome to the program. Thank you for joining. How are you both doing today? Doing great. Thank you. Doing well, thanks. Perfect. Now, I'm sure our listeners are eager to learn more about your backgrounds. So, Will, can we start with you? Could you tell us a little bit more about your background? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm originally from Valparaiso, Indiana. I got my undergrad in physics from Gustavus Adolphus College in Minnesota and then went on to do a master's in acoustics from Penn State. And I'm currently working remotely on a PhD with uh, Vic Sparrow. Dr. Sparrow is a past ASA president, and I'm a third-year research engineer at NASA Langley. Very nice. And a nice shout-out to uh, Dr. Sparrow as well. And uh, Jonathan, uh, could you tell us a little bit more about your background? Certainly. I am originally from California, I have an undergraduate degree in physics from Grinnell College in Iowa, a PhD in acoustics with another ASA past president, Dr. Lily Wong at the University of Nebraska, and a postdoctoral fellowship in acoustics with Dr. Boaz Rafaeli at Ben Gurion University in Israel. And I've been at NASA Langley for 11 years. Uh, Just as a side note, I spent my first several years at NASA conducting sonic boom studies in a laboratory with human subjects in a simulator that was set up to look like a living room. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And also another past ASA president, Dr. Lily Wong. I'm sure Dr. Wong and Dr. Sparrow will be particularly interested in this podcast. Very nice. Now, Jonathan... And before we jump into your research, I'd like to take a step back so our listeners can understand how and why your research came to fruition. Uh, Could you tell us a little bit more about how NASA is using its X-59 aircraft to lift current bands on supersonic flight over land? NASA's goal overall is to improve air travel for the public by drastically reducing travel times. So the X-59 aircraft is going to demonstrate that supersonic flight is possible without loud sonic booms. And just as a side note, the X-59 is for research purposes only. It will never carry any passengers. NASA is planning a nationwide campaign of community overflight tests with the X-59 aircraft. And we will survey the communities. And that survey data is going to help enable changes in aircraft noise regulations, uh, changing the supersonic speed limit that exists right now into a noise limit. Uh, This mission with the X-59 aircraft is comprised of multiple phases. Phase one is building and testing the X-59 aircraft. That's what we're in right now. 
Phase two is acoustic validation to make sure the aircraft is as quiet as it was designed to be. And phase three is community response testing with the X-59 aircraft. And then there's a, <clears throat> excuse me, a fourth phase afterwards, which is delivering the final data to the noise regulators. And for a little bit more background, NASA has been involved in supersonics research for 70 years. Uh, this low boom aircraft design technology was enabled by improvements in computer simulation tools over the past few decades. Uh, about 10 years ago, uh, there was some wind tunnel test results that showed that new approaches to aircraft shaping could have a, a really dramatic effect on the sounds of supersonic flight. And that success is what set the stage to begin planning for X-59, an experimental aircraft. Ah, I see. And so now, how does the X-59 create a sonic thump instead of a sonic boom? And just out of curiosity, what is the difference between a sonic thump and a sonic boom? Well, that's that's a great question. And maybe the best way to answer that is to to refer to our the scale that we developed. Um, and so let me, if it's all right with you, I'll answer the first question first and then maybe return. Um, X, so these are two very different sounds and one is much quieter than the other. A sonic thump is is much quieter than a sonic boom. And I think we'll, maybe we'll get more into that a little bit later. Um, how does X-59 create a sonic thump instead of a sonic boom? It's all about the unique shape of the aircraft. Um, all existing supersonic aircraft uh, produce shock waves that pile on top of one another as they travel to the ground. And that's what creates the big boom at the ground. Uh, by contrast, X-59 has this long nose, highly swept wings, an integrated engine, and a very uh, unique external vision system. So there's no forward facing window on the aircraft. The special design prevents the shock waves from piling up as they travel to the ground. So the result is a, a sonic thump. And you know, just for the purpose of comparison, a, a sonic thump sounds more like distant thunder or a car door slam, whereas a sonic boom sounds more like thunder from uh, a, a cloud and a lightning strike that's very nearby. Ah, I see. That's really interesting. Uh, now, Will, I'd like to turn to you. Uh, due in part to the 1973 regulation that prohibits commercial supersonic flight over land, the X-59's quiet sonic boom is going to be tested in U.S. communities to determine if the regulation can be overturned. Is that correct? Yeah, so NASA's job is to provide data to regulators to help them decide how to proceed with the future supersonic aircraft noise regulations. And the data that we'll provide uh, includes objective measurements, so that's like recordings of the loudness of the X-59 shaped sonic boom. And we're also going to provide estimates of the loudness experienced by community members who complete surveys. And also, we'll provide the responses to the community members, or the responses that the community members made to these surveys. Um, and then NASA will also be doing a uh, analysis of this objective and subjective data to get to a summary data, which 
which we call dose response curves, where the dose is the estimated sonic boom loudness or sonic thump loudness that people experienced, and the response is their perception of the boom. And there's also other regulations, or well, other aspects of this regulation, including the landing and takeoff noise of the aircraft and emissions, but the X-59 mission focuses just on the en route noise. So that's like the sonic boom during cruise. And the actual metric to describe the future certification standard hasn't been chosen yet, but one metric that's commonly used to describe the booms is the Stevens perceived level metric. And to better understand this PL, perceived level scale, um, we recorded and computed the perceived level of various common sounds. And I have to say, um, when I read your paper, uh, that was the first time that I heard of Stevens perceived level metric. So we'll can you talk about using uh, the Stevens perceived level scale to measure sounds? And can you expand on what the Stevens perceived level scale is? Yeah. So, yeah, like you, before uh, going to grad school and studying sonic booms, I hadn't heard of the perceived level metric either. And I didn't really know what to make of NASA's plans for a 75 decibel perceived level sonic boom. Um, but the perceived level scale and other acoustic metrics just allow us to assign a single number to an acoustic event. In this case, it's the X-59 low boom, shaped sonic boom. And so these metrics allow us to put a sound that no one has ever heard, the X-59 sonic thump, in context with other more familiar sounds. And the target loudness for the X-59 is 75 decibels, as you mentioned, on the Stevens perceived level scale. Could you describe the perceived, could you go into a little bit more detail about the uh, Stevens perceived level metric? Yeah, the so PL, perceived level, is a single number noise metric. And it's calculated using the one-third octave band sound pressure level spectrum of the sound. And that corresponds to a sone spectrum. And it's sort of similar to the A or C weighting curves, but it's more complex because it depends on the level of the sound and also these frequency bands. Um, so after you compute the one-third octave band sound pressure levels to get the sone spectrum, you do um, sort of a summation of the zones, and it also depends on the maximum zone level. And again, just to go back to the 75 decibels, is there was there a justification for 75 decibels as the target loudness? Yeah, uh, past lab studies showed that the uh, onset of annoyance uh, begins around 75 decibels on this perceived level scale. Ah, okay. So just just uh, for instance, if you're sleeping on a Saturday and a leaf blower comes and kind of jolts you out of sleep, is that kind of annoyance, would that fall somewhere in that 75 decibels? Uh, I would say leaf blower is probably a little bit oh, higher. Really? <laughs> okay, yeah. good to know. <laughs> yeah, maybe if you were a super light sleeper or something and you could sense a storm was brewing nearby. You might wake up from uh, this distant thunder type 75 PLDB sound. Ah, okay. 
And now, Jonathan, uh, will this skill be used as part of the public survey during a community response testing? This scale is uh, its more of a tool for communicating with the public about X59's unique sound. It's, it's not really intended for the public survey itself. Uh, bef since before construction began on the X59, members of the public and the media have been asking NASA how quiet X59 will be. And it's, it's hard to describe X59's unique sound, and it's hard to play that sound over common devices like phones or computers because there's so much low-frequency audio content in those signals. It can't be reproduced well. So the scale that we developed quantifies the sound level at 75 decibels, and it tries to make that number meaningful via quantitative comparisons with other common impulsive sounds. Um, most existing loudness scales use vacuum cleaners and rock concerts or, like you said, leaf blowers for context. But um, it's also very hard to compare continuous sounds like those with impulsive sounds like a sonic thump. And so that's why we specifically chose other impulsive sounds like a basketball bounce and a hand clap for comparison. And... Uh, uh, before we go on, I'd like to just return to something you asked before about a difference between a sonic boom and a sonic thump. Um, mm -hmm. You know, up until uh, the construction of X-59 and, and recent NAS NASA testing, there's there's really only ever been a sonic boom, and that's the sound of any object traveling faster than the speed of sound. Um, you know, you get a sonic boom from a supersonic aircraft, you get a sonic boom from... Um, uh, a spacecraft that re-enters the atmosphere. Uh, you get a sonic boom from a bullet that travels supersonically. You even get a small sonic boom from from a, a whip when you crack a, a bullwhip. That's a, a, a small sonic boom, you know, from the tip of the bullwhip that's traveling faster than the speed of sound. Um, there was no word to describe uh, a low sonic boom or a, uh, a quiet sonic boom, or a, uh, what we're describing as a sonic thump, of, of the sound of a, um, an object that's been specially designed to, to minimize the, the resulting, the sound of the shock wave. And so that's, that's what a sonic thump is. Oh, okay. That's interesting. That makes, that makes a lot more sense. I get it now, the, the sonic thump versus the sonic boom. And uh, Will, to go back to you for a moment, uh, you developed a thermometer of acoustic levels to help someone such as myself understand what the X-59 will sound like. Could you explain your impulsive noise perceived level thermometer and how it works? Sure. Um, in the early stages of this work, we had a really fun brainstorming session where we sat down and listed as many impulsive noise sources that we could think of that were fairly common and that we could potentially record or simulate. And then we set out to measure each of these noise sources, and we also reached out to several colleagues outside of NASA for measurements of noise sources that we didn't have available to us. And so the PL thermometer allows us to put these sounds in context with the X-59 shaped sonic boom. And what types of impulse noises were chosen for the research and why? Yeah, we collected uh, 
noises that most people had probably heard, of course, except for the sonic booms. <laughs> and we wanted a range of levels that could span this scale from soft to loud. So our noises included car door slams, hand claps, as Jonathan said, nails being hammered into wood, basketballs bouncing, thunder, balloon pops, fireworks, and gunshots. Oh, okay. Wow. Okay. And how were the impulse noises created or added to the database? We had a few different ways of recording them or simulating them. Um, when we could, we recorded the sounds in an anechoic chamber at NASA with a recording system that we have. And some of the other sounds were recorded in the usual environment. So the car door slams, for example, or just outdoors or inside the car. The basketball bounces that we recorded were actually at NASA's fitness center, which is a large hard floored field house style gym. And the hardest sound to record for us was the thunder recordings. So the first attempt uh, I made at recording these sounds, I left my office window open overnight. I placed a microphone near the window so it would hopefully survive uh, any rain. And when I arrived at work the next morning, the whole office building was super humid and it didn't even storm overnight. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> but for the next several attempts we made at getting these thunder recordings, I would be like constantly watching this lightningmaps.org website, which shows lightning strikes in real time. And we would be watching these storms. They look like they're coming right towards NASA. And at the last second, they would veer off or they would rain themselves out. So we wouldn't get those recordings, but we set up the measurement equipment anyway. And then one day, we finally got a storm that passed directly overhead. And we placed a microphone outside under an overhang so it wouldn't get wet. And we finally got the recordings. And I was so happy. <laughs> We also got a couple of the sounds from our, some external partners. Um, the gunshot and the firework recordings were provided to us. And the X-59 sonic thump and the Concorde sonic booms were uh, both simulated. And we also scaled the car door slams to be at different distances. So those were um, scaled versions of real recordings. And so for each of these sounds, when we could, we made several recordings and we would calculate wow. the perceived level of each of the recordings. And we placed the median perceived level we measured and the range of the perceived level we measured on this uh, PL thermometer so we could present these things graphically. Oh, I see. Just an, again, out of curiosity, how long did it take to get the thunder sounds? How many weeks or months did it take? <laughs> Well, luckily, the, these uh, these thunderstorms are pretty common in the fall and summer at, in Virginia, uh, which is where NASA Langley is. And I would say it took at least a month, I think, to get to get the recording. I would I'd be watching this website every day. I would have it on one of my monitors. Like, okay, is it going to be today? <laughs> we finally got it. Very nice. <laughs> And uh, again, well, in your POMA paper, um, I noticed that you showcased two versions of the impulse noise PL thermometer chart. Can you explain the difference between the two charts? Sure. The One of the thermometer figures has, yeah, like I said, the, 
the median perceived level, the range of perceived level, and it also shows the distance from the source to the receiver, so the sound source to the microphone. Um, and all that's included on the, on the chart. And this is for a more technical audience who, you know, understands that sound, uh, noise, noises sound different as you move further away from the source and not every hand clap sounds exactly the same, for example. And yeah, this is for a more technical audience. But we simplified the scale also and included just the median perceived level on the version of the scale that's uh, for a more general audience. Okay, so I would probably understand the 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 scale for the general audience more than than the the first chart. Sure, but we can we can certainly get the understanding from you know every sound sounds a little bit different and depending on how far away you are things can be quieter or louder. Okay. So. It just takes up a little bit less space, I guess, too. The, the simple thermometer is a little bit cleaner and easier to explain, like, right offhand. Ah, I see. Okay. And, uh, Jonathan, I want to ask, what were your lasting conclusions, and how could this thermometer be used in other areas? We were using Carter slams and distant thunder to describe what a sonic thump sounds like long before we made these recordings. So I was kind of relieved when the uh, when we finished these measurements and it showed that the levels of the sonic thump really are comparable to, you know, distant thunder and car door slams. Uh, the database of high quality waveforms that we recorded and analyzed is available online. So anyone else who may need to communicate with the public about um, the loudness of unique impulsive sounds relative to more common sounds can use it. Uh, and the levels can be expressed in terms of any relevant noise metric, not just PL. Oh, very good. And so anyone can use this database of sounds. And we'll add that, we'll actually add that website to uh, the details of the podcast so so everyone can take a listen. Thank you. Oh, great. Will, do you have any ongoing next steps for this research? Well, the X-59 is currently under construction at the Lockheed Martin Skunk Works in California, and it's scheduled to fly for the first time in the summer of 2022. So we're quite busy preparing and planning for the X-59's completion and its acoustic validation, and then finally the community response test flights. But specifically for the PL thermometer, uh, we have dreams of filling out the lower end of the scale with even softer impulsive noises, such as keyboard clicks or pen clicks. And maybe once the X-59 begins flying, we could add some potentially super fun impulsive noises like the pop of a champagne bottle, for example. <laughs> And if listeners have ideas of uh, other impulsive noises that they'd like to see or include on the scale, have us analyze, I hope they'll reach out to us. Oh, good. Very good. I'm sure. I'm definitely sure you'll you'll get <laughs> varying ideas. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, lastly, are there any closing details you would like to share or anything else you would like to um, relate to our listeners about the research? Uh, I guess... Supersonic flight is going to be coming to you in the next couple of years. So um, 
Keep your ears open. <laughs> Very good. And Jonathan, anything like that? I, I think. Sorry, I think the only thing I would say is I would direct listeners to the uh, the website where there's a lot more information, and you can uh, you can take a look at X59 getting constructed in a you know time lapse video. Um, so that's nasa.gov/capitalx59 uh, for more information about the mission. Oh, very nice. I will definitely um, take a look myself. So I wanted to say thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure and good luck with all of the research and the X-59. I'm excited and I will keep my ears open for, <laughs> for supersonic flight. That's very, very exciting. So um, thank you again for joining. Thank you, Melania. This was very fun. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Across Acoustics. If you would like to hear more interviews from our authors about their research, please subscribe and find us on your preferred podcast platform.